Bibles, if you have them this morning, or your story Bibles, to page 335 or to Mark chapter 4. We're going to jump to a number of different places today. We are so excited to be uh, in the middle of the Gospels, but also nearing the end of the story. 24 weeks we've spent together surveying the Bible from Genesis now through the Gospels, and as we move through the Gospels and then into the Epistles, we're going to have a great time for the remainder of the summer. And I have to tell you, uh, God has so many wonderful plans for us as we move into the fall. We are beginning to talk to our uh, life group leaders and our volunteer leaders as we get really excited about what God's doing. We cannot wait to share so much of that with you throughout the month of July and into the month of August. And then on Vision Sunday, September 2nd, is a great big day here at Victory Life for us as we sort of unpack our vision for this uh, calendar year 2019-2020. So lots of great stuff going on. One of the most important duties that I do as a pastor, one of the things that uh, is, is something that I undertake with most solemnity happens in the spring of every year. No, I'm not talking about Easter. I am talking about when I go to war. I go to war every spring here on your behalf, and you didn't even know it. I go to war with the Victory Life Church Beaver Dam. On the south side of our property, just before our creek runs off of our property, we have those sharp-teethed creatures who create a dam right before our property ends. And if I do not go and seek and destroy that beaver dam, all spring we will have flooding on the back of our property. Those beavers ruin my life. (laughs) And so I go and ruin theirs. That water is meant to flow, but no one told the beavers. And so I go down there. Sometimes I bring some of you and your waiters, and we go down with our shovels and our pickaxes and our spud bars on our seek and destroy mission. Nobody call PETA, please. I don't, can't have that. Can't have a lawsuit. But we go and make sure that the water flows off of our property. The water is not supposed to remain with us. It's supposed to run off our property not supposed to remain with us. As we're surveying the Gospels and we find this period of time that Jesus, the Son of God, came into history, he came into history at a time when the water that was supposed to be running out of Israel and to the nations was pooling up. It was flooding back on Israel. You see, they had a lot of zealousness for God, but it wasn't going anywhere. It was pooled, it was stagnated, it was brackish water, it wasn't flowing out of Israel, it was staying there with them. And Jesus came into this situation and goes, this is not why I've been pursuing you for 23 chapters. This is not why my Father has forgiven you over and over and over again and called you by name. He called you so that the goodness of God, the faith in Yahweh God, I am God, existence himself God, would go out into the world and begin to save people, but it wasn't. So Jesus gets his shovel and his pickaxe and his spud bar and starts to attack the beaver dam that's keeping that water in Israel. And I want to show you four things in chapter 24 today that are evidences of what Jesus taught that was meant to get the water flowing again. And my hope is, is we can take this as a cautionary tale today and make sure that we never end up in a position where the water is not flowing out of 3833 Hudson Drive. We don't want to get stuck in religion. We want to take the living water of the faith in Jesus Christ to those who need it so desperately. 
Look at page 335, Mark chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to read just a few verses here and make a couple of observations. It says this, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee for those of you who have those maps in the back of your Bible. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it out on the lake. And while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, and he taught them many things by parables. He taught them many things by parables. Jesus was an all-star teacher. People wanted to hear what he had to say. We know that people wanted to get close to Jesus because Jesus had the power to heal. But they didn't leave when Jesus stopped healing and started preaching. In fact, Jesus said at one point earlier in the Gospel of Mark, guys, we got to get out of here. I came to preach, not just to do healings all the time. He came to teach people what God expected of them. And so Jesus has this, this dynamism, this magnetism, that even when he's not in healing mode, people want to be close to him and want to hear what he has to say. They want to be close to Jesus, and we find that Jesus mostly taught the crowds in parables. Parables are stories that represent something greater than the story itself. But parables also draw from everyday life. They make a connection with people on a heart level. They, they, they allow people to think and feel about what's going on in their life, but then how it relates to God. Jesus was tremendously relatable to people. If you read the parables of chapter 24, these would have been things that they would have understood. Just as I was praying a few minutes ago, it says if we cheer and stand and clap and scream for sports teams, we can cheer and clap and scream for God. It's just sort of like a mini parable, right? The all-star games happening in Cleveland this week. People will be falling all over themselves to see the stars. But the real star, the, the one who loves us so much is Jesus Christ. And we should be falling all over ourselves to know him. See, that's just a, a mini parable, and that's about as good as I can do. Jesus did much better. He was brilliant after all, son of God. He, he had great parables. They're ones that stick with us. They're ones that grab hold of our attention. Some that are like a gut punch. You read them, you're like, oh. Others would make people in this time laugh. They would make people interested in what he had to say. Jesus used parables because it was a great way to connect with people. But what were Jesus' parables about? What did he talk about most often? Well, if you read chapter 24, you find two great categories that the parables were about. The first great category of the parables is this. Jesus taught that God is in pursuit of us. Jesus taught that God is in pursuit of us. Jesus taught about God being the one who scatters the seeds so that we might grow into faith in him. He talks about God being the one who lost a coin and, and goes searching the house for it. God going after the lost sheep. God going after the prodigal son. God is in pursuit of us. This is a very important thing for us to get a hold of if we don't want the water to stay with us. Because some of the nastiest parts of religion are people who begin to get pride because of their finding God. They have found God, and they know God, and they know something that you don't, and they want you to know that they know it. But if we get back to the very essence and the root of our faith and something we've been talking about from chapter 1 on, we must remember that God pursued us first. God has been after us since the garden. God has been interested in humbling himself and actually coming after human beings and saying, it's not about you, it's not about your righteousness, it's not about what a good person you are, it's about the fact that I created you and I love you and I want you with me. That's a humbling thought. 
and it's a good thought, and it reminds us that God loves us, and that's a great place to come into faith and want the water to flow out of our lives. But there's a second thing that the parables talk about a lot, and that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God being the most precious thing that human beings can grab a hold of. Whether it be like a a great pearl or a tremendous treasure, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being something that comes into the lives of individuals and becomes the most valuable thing that they possess. Now, when you think about kingdom, we don't talk about those terms a lot, and I like the way that a lot of modern pastors and theologians talk about this. Instead of saying the kingdom of God, they say the reign of God. Have you ever heard that recently? They talk about the reign of God. That means that God comes to rule and to reign and to direct your life. Now you might say, those two concepts of the parables, they seem a little bit incongruent. If God really loves me, does he really want to rule me? Does he really want to direct me? Is that really the loving God that we're talking about? Well, think about it this way. I mentioned that I have a lot of kids. And, and I love them with all my heart. I, I love them more than I, can, than I can even express. But if I don't rule over them and direct them and, 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 and point them in the way they should go, they'd be dead by now. <laughs> Do you know what my Father's Day gift was? It was a mug that says, today's goal, keep the little humans alive. <laughs> True story. It's in my car right now, dried up coffee in the bottom. Yes. Part of my love for them is expressed in my direction of them because I'm dad and I'm an old guy and I I know a thing or two. Well, he's really old and he knows everything and his love is expressed to us not only by pursuing us, even when we're being jerks, but also in saying, now come under my direction because I love you. We've all met those people that go, my mommy and daddy love me. I don't have any rules. Your mommy and daddy don't love you. They need you to love them. That's not the greatest form of love, to just let your children run rampant. That means that you want your children to love you more than you recognize that you love them. You have to risk parenting, don't you? You have to risk putting direction over them and saying, come under my authority, knowing one day that they might rebel against that and be upset with you. You got to risk it. Well, God risked it. But you know what? Since he came by way of the cross, his outstanding love supersedes our fear that he wants to make us slaves. In fact, the Bible says that you did not receive a spirit of slavery when you came to Christ. You received a spirit of sonship, a spirit of adoption. He wants us to be his children, and he wants us to be under his rule. I should just preach about this for the next 20 minutes, but I have three more points to make. Let's continue. Luke 11.25, so you're going to turn over in your Bibles, but page 339 in the story, which makes it real easy for the rest of us. First, Jesus taught that God is in pursuit of us. It keeps us in a good place so that water flows out of our lives. Second, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up, Luke 11.25, to test Jesus. He said, teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, well, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
In reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and left him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, he came to the place. He saw him. He passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went with him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This was an expert of the law, but Jesus is implying that he's missing something because Jesus taught that faith without love is dead. Faith without love is dead. He paints this picture of a priest, the pastor, walking by this beaten and bloodied man and going, can't do that today. He then paints a picture of a Levite. A Levite was one who took care of the temple and its grounds. Think volunteer leader. And the Levite, the volunteer leader at the church goes, can't be bothered with that today. But then a Samaritan passes by. A Samaritan was a believer in Yahweh God, but he sort of went to the weirdo church, okay? He, he didn't worship in Jerusalem. He worshiped at Mount Gerizim. They did weird things over there. They had sort of a strange Bible, there were some strange things going on. The Israelites did not like the Samaritans. And Jesus says, hey, the weirdo burger went over and took care of that guy. Who do you think is right with God? Who do you think is truly inspired by the love of God? You see, the expert in the law, he answered right, didn't he? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, he gets it. He gets it up here. I love God. Granted, I do all these things, all these pious activities, all these things in my life as proof positive that I love God. But Jesus is saying, okay, well, if you love your neighbor as yourself, the outflow of that love of God will flow onto people. It won't just be a head knowledge, it will be a real life application. You will love others practically. Jesus is pointing us to something. He's pointing us to the idea that you can attend church every week, you can wear all the right clothes, you can say all the right things. You can quote all the right Bible verses, and you can pray really beautiful, eloquent prayers. But if you have not love, do you truly know God? Have you truly experienced that love of God that he talks about in the parables, that God is in pursuit of you? Do you truly believe that God has pursued you and your righteousness is of no account? Do you truly believe that your faith in God is all about his grace and his mercy, not about your awesomeness? Because if you're in that place and you love God with that type of love and you recognize his love, you're going to love others and you're going to do so powerfully. It says the man wanted to justify himself, and that's a key clue that tells us that the water is staying stagnant on our property. When we are in the mode of trying to prove ourselves right or righteous, that's what justify means. So if I haul off after service and some volunteer leader isn't doing what I want and I start cussing that guy out and telling him that he needs to be doing something different. And then Pastor Otto walks into my office and goes, Matt, what is wrong with you? And I look at Otto, I go, you know what, we're doing the work of God here, and they really fell down on the job. I was justified in saying what I did. You know, we try to justify ourselves in a lot of ways, don't we? 
try to tell ourselves that our actions that aren't quite righteous are righteous because we want to be deemed righteous in our own righteousness. You can listen back at vlchurch.com this week to pick up what I just said. <laughs> we, we are in this place as human beings where even though we recognize that God makes us righteous through Jesus Christ, we get haughty. And we think that our relationship with God is something to be lauded. And Jesus is reminding this teacher of the law, it's not about your piety or your knowledge. It's about the love of God flowing through your life and onto others. Because if it doesn't, if you just know all the right things and say all the right things and look all the right ways, folks out there are going to find that repugnant if you don't show love. The fact that we're doing this single parent fair, a way to show love to our community, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, parent fair. We want to make sure this year that we are giving to every family in need, not just families that, that are single, but it's, it's the back-to-school parent fair this year, anybody who's in need. But we want to show that love in our community because we want the water to flow off this property. We, we want people to know that the love that has transformed us has wheels, and it goes somewhere. The priest and the Levite missed it. The weirdo burger didn't. Let's move on to number three. Page 341 in the story, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, as he's giving his sermon on the mount on page 341, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room close the door, pray to your father who is unseen, and then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus doubles down on this admonition. He also talks about the, the gifts you give of money. Don't, don't do that to be seen by others. And he also talks about fasting. Fasting is praying for a specific purpose to grow closer to the Lord and to see God move in your life. He says when you pray and when you fast and when you give, don't do it to be seen by others. Jesus teaches that religiosity stinks. Religiosity is religion for effect. Religion to be seen by others and have other people just go, whoa, what a great person. And there's a fine line between loving, as Jesus has called us to love, and religiosity. If, if our goal in bringing people onto the property with the back-to-school parent fair is to show them the love of Christ, to get them connected to our church, hopefully get them into our church and they can meet Jesus because we love Jesus and we know that they should love Jesus too and they need him. If that's our goal, we're in the clear. But if it's our goal to be like, yeah, our church is awesome. Look at what we did. And you should know it. That's religiosity. Or if I get up here and I pray at the end of worship time like I do, and my entire goal is to impress you all with the eloquence of my prayer, that's religiosity. Maybe you've met religiosity man in life group one week. You know, the one that needs you to know that he knows the Bible and knows theology, and he talks over everybody, and he needs you to know how much he knows. Religiosity stinks. And I encourage you that Jesus encouraged us very much that, that, that the things that God requires of us, the things that God wants of us, are not for effect. So we can have others look at us and go, just how awesome are they? They're really so that we can get closer to the Lord 
and that the Lord can use us. Not so people can see us. I almost wore a t-shirt today just to get some of the religiosity folks to leave. I was that close. Super close. Dead serious. But I like this shirt and it's patriotic, so I went with it. Religiosity stinks. Let's not get into that. Let's not get into that. Let's not do things for effect. Let's do them because we love God and it's in our heart to do it. Now, I want to go to the other side of the coin for just a minute because it's, it, 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 it's, it can feel today like we're going in one direction, and I don't want you to miss this. Religion for effect stinks, but your lifestyle does matter. And a lot of times we as Christians, because we rely upon the grace and mercy of God and because we recognize that it's his righteousness and not ours, can do some pretty awful things and then say, well, God knows my heart. And Jesus didn't preach that either. Jesus didn't preach, and God knows your heart. That was, not, that was not in Jesus' words. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, this very same sermon, that, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. And that we should seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all the rest of life will take care of itself. So I mean religion for effect. I don't mean righteous behavior. Can you see the difference this morning? There's a difference Religion for effect is trying to look religious to look cool, but acting right and doing what God calls us to do, that's just good and faithful service and coming under the direction and reign of God. This is a nuanced point, but I believe the Spirit is teaching us this morning. Be faithful to do the things that show you have a faith, but don't do them in order to be seen and lauded by others. One final point today, page 349 of the story. John chapter 6, verse 28. See, we've been in all four Gospels this morning because we're cool like that. Verse 28 of John chapter 6, page 349 in the story. After the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples looked at Jesus and they asked, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Isn't this an important question? What must we do to do the work that God requires? Now that we know you, Jesus, what do you want from us? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Jesus taught that the most important thing is belief in him. Now that can seem pretty self-serving if Jesus wasn't the son of God. That could seem pretty self-important if Jesus hadn't come to die for the sins of the world. That could seem pretty outrageous if Jesus wasn't the greatest teacher that the world had ever seen. But Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus did come to die for the sins of the world. Jesus was the greatest teacher that the world has ever seen. But it's not about what you know, Jesus taught. It's about who you know. And he wants you to know him. Perhaps you're newer to this church thing and you hear other Christians talk about a personal faith, a personal belief, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Why do they talk in those terms? Why, why, do, why do pastors and volunteer leaders and life group leaders talk about their personal relationship with Jesus? Because in Jesus, God's spirit connects to our spirit. And Jesus is the one who taught us that 
the most important thing for us to know is that God is in pursuit of us. And the most important thing that we can grab hold of in life is the reign of God in our lives. And that the love that God has expressed towards us and we express back towards him, that love is meant to be displayed to others. But Jesus taught that don't just do it so people will see you do it because you love God. Now, I don't know about you, but I need someone to keep me in check. I need somebody to make sure that, that I'm doing what God requires. The Spirit of Christ living in our lives will do that. But it starts with belief in him. And it starts with opening up your spirit in prayer and to his word that he might begin to transform you into the type of spiritual powerhouse that he desires each one of us to be. Belief in him is the most important thing because he is it. He is the greatest representation of God that has ever been seen. He was the exact image of likeness of God on earth. And he has created salvation and brought that to us and put it in our lives so that we would know God and never be removed from him. That's why Jesus can say, the work that God requires is to believe in me. Because your relationship and belief in me is going to inform a healthy faith in God. All the other things are the trappings of religion, but I'm for real. I can keep you in check. I can work things out in your life so that you can be the servant of God that you were designed to be. Jesus came so that you might know God and that you might serve God and that you might have eternal life. That's why he can say that belief in him is the most important thing. It's going to keep you right where you need to be in faith. So I ask you today, how's your relationship with Jesus? How is your faith in the Son of God? Is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly, as the Apostle Paul encourages us in Colossians 3? Is your faith in Christ and your understanding of the love of God through him flowing out into the lives of others? How's your relationship with Jesus? It's not the same as how is your relationship with the church. It's not the same as how are you doing with right and wrong? It's who is guiding and leading and directing you? Is it you? Is it me? Is it your life group leader? Or is it the one who came that you might have relationship to God? Is your heart open to Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, you are no ordinary man. You came and saw right through us. You recognized that we would take pride in having pursued God. That we are so messed up because we haven't come under your rule and your reign. You came recognizing that we could know all the right things but do none of the right things. You came knowing that sometimes we can do the right things for effect rather than out of a heart of gratitude and love of you. But more than any of that, you came 
that we might know God. That this would be a dynamic relationship. Not about right and wrong, but about faith and righteousness. Allowing you to speak, allowing you to move, allowing you to open our eyes to all that we need to see. God, I pray for those who might be here today thinking that they are engaging in an expression of religion. And on some levels, in worldly terms, that's true. But my prayer is for those whose hearts are stirred, who want this relationship that they've heard so many speak of. They want to know you, Jesus. Put their full faith and trust in you, Jesus, to see you for who you are. And for the first time, to see themselves as you see them. If that's you today, you'd say, Pastor Matt, I want to open my heart to this Jesus. I don't want to just be practicing religion. If Jesus truly is the Son of God sent from heaven to die for my sins and to give me eternal life and to teach me the way that I should go, I want to open my heart to him. I want my spirit to connect to his spirit today. If that's you today, would you just lift two hands towards heaven? Tell the Lord, God, I want to be open to you today. Just lift those two hands towards heaven. I want a relationship with you, Jesus. I don't want religion. hands today. I want a relationship with you, Jesus, not, not tradition, not something that's dead. I want something that's alive. For those of you with your hands up today, if your hands are tired, just get in a comfortable position, but just keep them turned towards heaven. And I'm going to ask us to do something just thinking about in this moment. Would those of you who know Jesus, whose hearts have been touched by the Lord, would you begin to pray for those whose hands are raised? And I pray that some of you would be willing not to be, be heard by others, not for effect, but just in humility of heart, even pray out loud. Let's have a chorus of prayers in this place those with hands lifted would experience the spirit and the trueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you just lift your voices in prayer today? Just begin to pray. Lord Jesus, be present today in this place. I pray that those who come to you with a humble heart, Lord, they would begin to feel your presence in their lives. They would begin to know that you created them with a spirit, a spirit, Lord, that is meant to connect to the spirit of God that this is not staid religion, this is not empty faith, but this is true and real and dynamic 
that, Lord Jesus, you will open the eyes of their heart to what they were born to be. You will open the eyes of their heart to your love for them. Lord, that you would open the eyes of their heart to the fact that you died for their sins and want them to be in full relationship with you. Holy Spirit, come in and fill them today. I don't know if they prayed these prayers that we prayed before in this place to know you, but I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come. Begin to pour into their lives right now that they might know that you are who you say you are in this place. Holy Spirit, move across this place reminding us that Jesus loves us, reminding us that Jesus has a plan for our lives, reminding us that this is real and true, reminding us, Lord, that you are who you say you are. Holy Spirit, move in this place, we pray. Move in this place, we pray. Move in this place, we pray, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. 